Have you ever wanted some peace and quiet? That's why I come to church, Cliff. I get some of my best sleep between, oh, 11.25 and 12. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you, you just want to get away from maybe your, your children or, I'm not, please, I'm not trying to be sound evil. Uh, maybe you want to get away from your spouse for a little while or maybe you need to get away from the job or the rat race of life and, or maybe you like to send your children somewhere. I don't know, they, maybe they call that summer camp. But I'm sure this is a little too going too far. Uh, this, this, if you have a picture, or I think next one should be a picture there. That is a prison in South Korea called the prison inside of me. Uh, it started up about seven years ago. Actually, I can't confirm that it's still in operation, but uh, it is sponsored by an attorney and his wife that uh, you go there and you give up your cell phone, you give up anything electronic, uh, you cannot talk with anyone else, and you are locked in that, uh, I think it's, it was in metric instead of square feet. I think a square feet was 54 square foot. So what's that, like between 7 by 7 and 8 by 8, somewhere in that nature. Pretty small little room. You're given a mat. You're given a notebook and a pencil. Um, you have a toilet in your room. No mirror. So you say, man, that's pretty good. I'll give that to my kids. No. Um, but you pay $90 a night, and you go in there for a weekend. And the meals, uh, I have the meal, I thought some of you, you know, my mother always wanted to know, what did you eat when you went somewhere? Steamed sweet potato. If it doesn't have brown sugar and marshmallows on it, I don't know if I, a banana shake, I could do that, and rice porridge. If you don't know, South Korea has one of the most demanding work weeks of any, uh, the top three in the world. Um, it's not unusual. In fact, the lawyer who started this, he said he was working, or his wife said it, he was working at least 100 hours a week. I'm trying to think, when did he sleep? You know, that's, that's a lot of time. And they have cut their work week from 68 or so down to 52. That's the legal amount you can let someone work, 40-hour work week with the 12 hours of overtime. Uh, but they're locked into their small cells, Participants supposedly can find some peace and perhaps some forgiveness for taking time for themselves away from their work, away from their employers and their busy lives. Well, locked into another room were 11 guys, perhaps, maybe 10. Thomas is not there, maybe less than that. We really don't know how many were in that room where they were locked, but they were afraid. Jesus' followers knew that the Romans had come and taken him, executed him, and now they're in a small dark room, locked like a jail cell, and Jesus enters in and cries out peace, power, and forgiveness. If you have your Bibles, turn with me please to John, the Gospel of John. We've been in now for two years, and uh, we'll pick up at verse 19. There is a parallel to this in Luke, and uh, I could have read it this week, but maybe you'll read that on your own. There's a longer conversation in Luke, but here John accounts for us, verse 19, on the evening of the first day of the week, so it's still that same day, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, 
Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw that it was the Lord. Again, Jesus says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father, it's easy in this text to get hung up on some of the verses that we have never really fully understood. In the sense that, Lord, are we able to forgive others? Well, maybe we are. Are we able to not forgive others? Well, maybe we do have that power within our own relationships. And Lord, have we sought peace in somewhere other than you? This is a passage, Lord, that speaks to each one of us, no matter whether we're not a Christian, a baby Christian, or a seasoned Christian sitting here today. For you have proclaimed peace unto us. You have empowered us with your Holy Spirit, and you have told us to go and forgive. Speak to our hearts this day as we look at your word, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's remember that the disciples were terrified. If your best friend of three years had been executed for what he was doing and you were a part of that movement, you probably would have some fear yourself. They were locked in a room. Like great military planners, they were planning their exit strategy from Jerusalem. How do we get out of here without the high priests and the scribes and the Roman soldiers that might have saw us with Jesus? How do we get out of here? How do we stay alive? And then Jesus, and this is the part I think it's so easy for me as I got ready for this sermon to just overlook. Not, not as in overlook, but not say something. Jesus in his resurrected body. I was reading another commentary this week, and it was a reference to an atheist having a discussion with a liberal uh, pastor who said, I really don't believe in a resurrected body. And the, the atheist said to the liberal well, I don't think if you believe, don't believe in a resurrected body, you really aren't a Christian. The resurrected body is essential. The resurrection is essential for understanding who Jesus was. If, if Jesus, they, they took his body and carried it somewhere else and we have never found it over the past 2,000 plus years, we are in here just talking to each other. But my Lord and Savior stood in the midst of these men in a locked room and said unto them, Peace be with you. Wow. He will say it again in verse 21, like they didn't hear him the first time. Kind of like talking to your kids. You ever told them the same thing more than once? Hmm, I guess not. Well, some of you already got your sleep on. <laughs> Excuse me for a second. <laughs> Jesus speaks of peace, and we often refer to him as the Prince of Peace. Makes sense that the Prince will impart to his citizens a measure of the peace that he commands. 
So let's reflect on that peace that he imparts to us. He gives the peace to the disciples, which means peace to be complete. And that's our first point. You've heard peace, the word peace, shalom. Um, this is Greek, obviously, that the New Testament was written in. And in it is that Greek word, irene, uh, which means peace, if you will. Um, but shalom carries a little bit more with it. Shalom is not just a hello and goodbye. It's kind of like aloha in Hawaii, you know, hello, goodbye. Shalom is complete happiness. It is how are you in the sense, not actually how are you, it's a blessing upon you that you are fully together. And I love the line that Jesus says, peace unto you. It's like the gang is all together again. We're here. Be complete in me. Peace in that understanding means that we are un that we are that we are broken. Not that he can make us unbroken, he can make us whole. But we are broken, and by his peace we can become whole. That right relationship with God brings the brokenness healing. One of the titles I've said about Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he uses that word to describe himself or peace. Uh, it seems like in a contradictory way, if you're familiar with the book of Matthew, he says in that Matthew 10, verse 34, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on this earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. How can the Prince of Peace be talking about peace and a sword? Well, I think the contradiction is, is uh, resolved when you realize that for Jesus, peace for him is not meant as a struggle. In fact, that's another definition for peace. Talk about it right there. The lack of war. You know, no one's picking on you. Being able to feel at home, you're, you're, you're safe in your homes. You're living in peace. He's talked about completeness, and his peace is like a sword that rightly divides because either you will accept Christ or you will reject Christ. Either you will find completion or you'll live your whole life struggling because there's something missing. Over and over, John records Jesus speaking about peace. In fact, in the New Testament, I think it's 20-some-odd times that Jesus uses the word peace, and it's, it's frequently used in John. We know it from John 14. That's what I alluded to when I said pass the peace. Look at John 14, verse, I think it's 27. Hang on with me just a second. You have heard me say, I'm going away. I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you'd be glad. I went too far. It's verse 27, not 28. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the whole world. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let be afraid. Jesus, the peace that he offers, is a completeness. It is getting it all together with him. He tells us on the Sermon on the Mount, what is that, Matthew 5? Blessed are the peacemakers, right? I'm, I'm, I'm getting out on thin ice here because I'm hoping you're going to repeat for me. I know the answer. For they shall be, remember, remember, they shall be called the sons of God. Or they shall be flying in B-52s because they're peacekeepers. But this is a peacemaker. Peacemaker was the name that Colt gave to their most famous gun. Some of you are gun collectors. Colt Peacemaker, I think, goes back to the 1870s. And it seems strange that an instrument of death would be holding the title of peacemaker. 
And I want to remind you, and I know Jim will tell you, next week is Western Sunday. Don't bring your peacemaker strapped to your waist. Bring your chili. But if you stay with me on that illustration, we as Christians should be carrying peacemakers of love. Now, I think a peacemaker probably only had six shots, but you ought to be loving with an endless supply of ammunition and giving forgiveness with an endless supply of forgiveness. Christian peacemakers armed with love. Now, I have an illustration. You know, I, I've told the, the staff that I probably do one Sermon on the Mount. Uh, sermon on the Mount. I, I will do one Sermon on the Mount. I will do one children's sermon before I, left, before I retire. I used to do children's sermons every Sunday, and I brought some sort of example in a brown paper sack because years ago I read a book called Children's Sermons from a Brown Paper Sack, and I, I just like that. If, if we were doing one today, it would be this. This is a uh, Hawaiian rooster. You know, Brenda and I like to go to Kauai, and they have all these roosters all over the place. Uh, I mean, like we have pigeons, they have roosters. Um, and this is a Lego, and Jack is here today. So, Jack, will you come forward? I, I didn't know, I didn't have this planned. Jack, on, on the, and, and you put some monster Legos together, right? You, you need to tell me the difficulty of Legos that have every piece is that. Oh, yeah, it's one of those. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those, if you didn't hear him. You've done these. Okay, well, I tell you what, buddy, I'm going to give this one to you. That's yours. And if you, if you can put it together, it's one of those that, you know, that is a complete rooster. And you think you are a complete ro rooster. You're, well, be careful, Cliff, what animal you call them. You think you are complete, but that is not a complete rooster until Jack or somebody with nimble fingers assembles it. It's all discombobulated. Is that a word? I like it discombobulated. And until the master puts you together the way he wants you, you are incomplete. You're discombobulated. Man, I didn't even plan on using that word. I like it though. Be complete with Jesus and enjoy the love and only he and peace he can give. After showing the disciples who were there, because next we'll read, next week we'll read about Thomas and not being there, not being present, he shares with him his scars and he shares with him his peace once again. And then he brings them into the mission that his father has called him into. He wants us to go like he has gone and tell others the good news of peace and forgiveness. Now, if last week's verse 17 was controversial and difficult, remember I said this whole idea about holding on to Jesus and we had to try to understand that. Verses 22 and 23 are probably doubly complicated because, let me just read this for you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. When's Pentecost? When, when, when do those guys get the Holy Spirit in your Bible memories? Acts 2, right? Ugh. Makes my little brain hurt. Receive the Holy Spirit. You tell me Jesus gave them something and they had to do it again? Hmm, that... Hang with me. And then verse 23, he says, If you forgive anyone their sins, they're forgiven. And you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Oh, we have power to forgive or not to forgive? Well, let's take, in this, take some time before we move on to my second point about John's uh, Holy Spirit imparting. How does it fit in with Acts 2? Some of you are Bible scholars out there, and you've resolved this years ago, I'm sure. 
Well, let me tell you the one book that I've used primarily through this whole series of John, he has seven different ways to look at that. Then I looked at another one late last night, and this guy gave me four more. I'm like, so let me, let me just do some, some statements like this. Well, first off, commentators don't all agree. No, no one has it. One, is this a partial? Is this a sprinkling of the Holy Spirit? I was teasing. Chief was in my office, and he's a former Methodist. I said, was this the Methodist sprinkling of the Holy Spirit? And Acts 2 is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You know, a little bit and a whole lot over there? Hang on. Is it symbolic of what is to come? Jesus is breathing on them this Holy Spirit, and not until Acts 2 will it fully be on them. Here's an easier one, maybe. Is it simply John's account of the receiving of the Holy Spirit? John is theological. He is not chronological. And John wanted to include the giving of the Holy Spirit, even though John would have been with those guys in Acts 2 to receive it, in that account that Luke writes. John doesn't have, well, he does, I guess he does have secondary books. He doesn't have a complementary to the gospel of John, like Luke has Acts. Hmm. Whatever side you come down, remember this, it's genuine. John wrote from the perspective of a follower of Jesus inspired by the Holy Spirit. Here's my weak illustration for understanding this. And, and I, I really could live with any of those that I gave you. Those are just some I bo boiled it down to of those about now 10 different ways to look at this. Have you ever had a conversation with a coffee drinker and you're not a coffee drinker? And they have had four or five cups. And by the time you're done talking with them, you've drank a cup of coffee because it's been in your mouth. And then somewhere down the road, you finally drink a cup of coffee. And now you have the complete filling of what you first were given a partial taste of. And you could do that with chocolate too. Man, my wife comes in sometimes and sits down beside me. I said, you've been eating chocolate. Where is it? Hiding it from me. You know, I want it. And Christ has not hidden his spirit from any one of us. And however you are able to fit this into your um, understanding of when the Holy Spirit comes, for us as believers, it comes when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is when the Holy Spirit is received, when you receive the power of Jesus in your life. So we will have different accounts because you have different authors, but the same inspiring genuineness that comes that the Holy Spirit is what Christ has promised. He said that in John 14. I go to prepare a place for you. He talks about, and I will not leave you with alone. I will send to you someone, the helper, the comforter, the paraclete. So now you have a taste of something. In fact, I had a cough drop in my mouth today, and I was like, I don't want to get too close to somebody because they'll think I'm sick. Man, if you had the taste of the Lord's love in your mouth and got close to somebody, they may want a taste of it too, kind of like chocolate. Let me share with you the love I have in my heart. So, be complete. And second, let go. I'm not saying let God, but let go. It's not yours anymore to carry. To forgive someone is one, one way to say it. In fact, I... I quote Frederick Buechner a lot. I just like his take on some theological statements. He says, 
Forgiveness is this. You have done something unspeakable to someone, and by all rights, that other person should call it quits between us. Both your pride and your principles demand no less. However, although I make no guarantees, I will be able to forget what you have done, and may we both may carry the scars of what happened. I will refuse to let that thing stand between us. That's forgiveness. I still want you to be my friend. So to accept forgiveness is to admit that you have done something unspeakable that needs to be forgiven, and thus both, both parties must swallow the same thing, their pride. This seems to explain to us what Jesus means when he says to, to God, forgive us, or when we're praying, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus is not saying that God's forgiveness is conditional upon our forgiveness of others. He's saying, forgive us, Lord, but help us also to forgive others. What Jesus is apparently saying is that the pride that keeps us from giving or forgiving is the same pride that keeps us from accepting forgiveness. When somebody you wrong forgives you, you're spared the, the dull and self-diminishing throb of a guilty conscience. What peace that is. When you forgive somebody who's wronged you, you've squared up the problem and no longer do you have the corrosion and bitterness of wounded pride. For both parties, forgiveness means freedom again to be at peace inside their own skins and to be glad to be in the other's presence. This commission to forgive is captured in some strange um, phraseology. Jesus says, or at least for us in our modern reading, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The reception or the receiving of the Spirit is always linked with forgiveness. In fact, in Matthew 16 and, and 18, both chapter 16 and 18, first he's talking to Peter, then he's talking with others. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I think that is complementary to what we're reading here in John. Those, in fact, here's a more literal translation that I, I stumbled upon this week. Those whose sins you forgive have already been forgiven. And those whose sins you do not forgive have not been forgiven. Two tenses are used in the Greek here. One is and I know you don't really care about this. One's aorist and one's perfect. One is immediate and instantaneous, and the other is longer lasting. John uses uh, in this whole thing, a, a, to me, there are two common words for forgiveness in Greek, and I memorized one because it has grace in it. It is a form of the word karos, which is grace, and it is that forgiveness, undeserved forgiveness, that undeserved you know, um, restoration. That's the more common one. The one he uses here at this point is aphemi, A-P-H-I-E-M-I, which basically means let go. Thank you for that amen. <laughs> because many times we rob ourselves of forgiveness and of peace because we won't let it go. Now, if that hurts you, it should. Because often your bitterness keeps you from finding peace. I wasn't going to go there, but I'm going to go there anyway. You guys know I've sold a Boku car since I've been here. 
I sold one last year to a guy, finally came and got it. We shook hands. He didn't have the last $1,000, so I said, I'll keep the title until you bring me the $1,000. That was a year ago. I still have the title. He still has the last $1,000. I was talking to somebody this week. Is it worth getting an attorney to do that and go after the 1000 It probably cost me more. I don't really want the vehicle back. Is it time for me to simply stop being bitter about $1,000 and just say, let it go? You still have the title. You know, if you want to hook you and he ever wants to drive it somewhere, how, and that's a simple illustration, but how many times somebody has offended you and you keep it in your hip pocket, you keep it like a six-shooter to pull out, well, you did that to me and you did that to me, and you're just so angry. I am convinced that peace and forgiveness, although they may not be dependent upon each other. They are integral. They are they dovetail together. If you cannot forgive, you probably can't find peace. And if you don't feel peace, there's probably somebody or something you have not forgiven. It does not mean you forget. I will get you. I'll, I got that. But you've said, this happened. I won't forget that that guy has never paid me, but I'm going to let it go. Quit worrying over something that is not even worth worrying over. And that, to me, is the essence of salvation. Not that we can forgive your sins, not that I can forgive your sins. God does that. But I am the one who can proclaim, you are the ones who can proclaim that God forgives sins. And if you don't proclaim it, perhaps they haven't heard it, and they remain unforgiven. You are essential in this formula of peace and forgiveness because he has called you into the mission that he was given by the Father. So all this years, and I got trouble with this, Cliff. Bring it down to something I can understand. Let's go with farm animals. I didn't grow up on a farm. Grandpa had pigs. I saw that. Uh, a buddy of mine, his, his, his grandpa had cows. He had a dairy farm that he got up and you know, those of you who've been around dairy, that's a lifelong. You think the Koreans are working a lot of hours. You got a dairy farm. All the Koreans must be dairy farmers because, I mean, that's what you do. You just take care of the thing in the morning, take care of it in the evening, always feeding it, never vacation. But Canadian pastor uh, Tim Chandless uh, shared a, what I consider a preacher story about farming and letting something go. And here's how it goes. He said this farmer had a nice farm, and on this farm uh, there was a, an opening in the fence. So first the sheep walk through, one sheep, that, one sheep is a sheep, right? Lamb is small, one sheep. That just sounds weird saying that. One sheep walked through the, the fence, and the pig over in the, the mire saw it go out, so shoot off all that sheep too. So at the end of the day, farmers taking account, you know, feeding animals, taking care of his livestock. Uh-oh, I'm missing a sheep and a pig. 24 hours go by cannot find the pig. I mean, can't find the lamb or the sheep. It's getting dark, so I'll, I'll look tomorrow morning. So he goes off to another farmer's field the next day, and he hears off in the distance. That's a good inter. You like that, right? Sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. How was the sermon? Bad. You know, I've heard all these. Uh, so he finally knows where they are. He goes over into this field, and then there's a big mud bog. You know, I mean, like a big, like I'm thinking like quicksand, and, and both the lamb or the sheep and the pig are stuck in there. 
And the pig is loving the mud. He's just rolling in it. But the sheep is smart enough to go, this is not the place to be. Neither one of them could get out, but the pig didn't care about getting out. And as Tim says, don't be the pig. Scream out to the Father what's been wrong and how you've been hurt and ask for forgiveness because the Father will pull you out of the mud, out of the mire. The Father will put you back on solid ground. So stop being the pig and enjoying the mud you're wallowing in and be the lamb, be the sheep, be the child of God you were created to be. Stand with me, please, as we pray. Fathers, we come now to a time of invitation. I know that there are many times that we are uneasy. We don't feel the peace that only you can give. And it's probably because there's somebody we haven't forgiven. Perhaps it was even ourselves. But you, O oh Lord, have taught us how to forgive. Even those who would crucify your son, you will grant forgiveness if they'll only confess and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. If there's someone today who's never experienced the peace of knowing Jesus, the release of being forgiven, and the life of forgiving others and how that can bring peace into their lives, Lord, I pray that this would be the moment in which they accept Jesus as their Savior. And if we're Christians here and we've been living like the pig, like the mire, help us, Lord, to let go and let you control our lives. This prayer I ask in the powerful name of Jesus, the risen Savior. Amen.